Welcome to the Herbs with Rosalie podcast, a show exploring how herbs heal as medicine, as food, and through nature connection. I'm your host, Rosalie de la Forêt. I'm an herbalist teacher and the best-selling author of the books Alchemy of Herbs and Wild Remedies. I created this podcast to share trusted herbal wisdom so that you can get the best results when relying on herbs for your health. I love offering up practical knowledge to help you dive deeper into the world of medicinal plants and seasonal living. My goal is that you'll walk away from each episode feeling inspired to start working with herbs in your everyday life. Each episode of the podcast is available on my Herbs with Rosalie YouTube channel, as well as your favorite podcast app. Transcripts and recipes for each episode can be found at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. To get the latest news as well as fun bonuses, be sure to sign up for my weekly herbal newsletter. Okay, grab your cup of tea. Let's dive in. I'm so thrilled to bring you this conversation with Maya Toll. Maya is full of wisdom and insights, and this interview is no exception. Maya is the author of the best-selling and award-winning Wild Wisdom series, including the Illustrated Herbiary, the Illustrated Bestiary, the Illustrated Crystallary, and the Wild Wisdom Companion. The seed for this series was planted when Maya apprenticed with a traditional healer in Ireland, where she spent extensive time studying the growing cycles of plants, the alchemy of medicine-making, and the psycho-spiritual aspects of healing. Maya's books build on this foundation, eloquently translating patterns and metaphors from the natural world to help modern seekers understand and grow within their lives. She also owns an herb shop called Herbiary, with locations in Asheville, Philadelphia, and online. Welcome to the podcast, Maya. I am so thrilled to be here, Rosalie. I'm so excited to have you here. We've chatted before. This is our first video conference. I feel like I've seen you a lot online too. So it feels <laughs> like you're this familiar friend popping on the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm thrilled to be here. You know, it's really funny because because I do a lot of teaching by video, people recognize me and they they have that sense of the familiar. And so I've had people walk up to me in restaurants and just start talking. And I'm like, um, who are you? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Famous within the herbal world. Oh. Um, and you're great. Well, we'll talk a lot about your books, but um, yeah, you're a prolific author and excited to jump into that. But before we do that, I would love to hear how you found yourself on the herbal path. Yeah. So, you know, I think like a lot of people, I, I got sick and Western medicine didn't know what the heck to do with me. Um, it was, it was kind of the beginning of a healing path. And then herbalism came in later. You know, when I tell the story, people often say, oh, so you got sick and herbalism healed you. Mm, no, I like a whole combination of things worked. I think we don't know whether I have celiacs or not, because I have not been eating wheat or gluten for about 30 years now figuring out that that's what was wrong, you know, was the issue that started me exploring homeopathy and herbalism and like dietary changes. I mean, that wasn't really a thing at that point to just pull an entire food group out of your diet. The doctor has since said to me, oh, let's see if you actually really have celiac. And I was like, okay, great. Let's, I'm, I'm curious. And he says, okay, so go eat wheat for a month. And I'm like, are you crazy? Like, <laughs> you want me to make myself sick so that you can confirm that I'm sick in the way that you think I'm sick? Mm, no. But that was the door. And then from 
from there, like years after that, I had an opportunity to take an entire year off and do whatever I wanted. I had I had a house that I had bought for a song in a town that was just kind of down on its luck. And then a big museum from New York City decided to open an annex in that town. And all of a sudden the property values went through the roof. And so I you know, turned around this house that I think I paid 87,000 for it. And I, I turned it around for four times that. So I was a teacher at the time and not used to making much money at all. And all of a sudden I had, you know, what for me was a fortune in the bank. And I said, okay, you get a year sabbatical. You can do whatever you want. I made a list of possible things, pottery, weaving, herbalism, like all these things I wanted to learn more about, but hadn't had time and started just doing searches for teachers and schools. And I ended up in Ireland for a year, apprentice to a traditional healer. That was, you know, that was the beginning of the herbal portion of the, of the program, but it, it started with the getting sick and starting to explore, you know, all those different ways of being well. I love your, your story so much. I've heard it, you know, through reading your books and through hearing interviews with you. And I think there's a lot of us, me included, who'd love to go to Ireland for a year and study with a traditional healer. Um, but one sense that I get from that, Maya, and that's where I feel a lot of like compottery um, with you, friendship with you, what is the word? Something like that, <laughs> is your seasonal rhythms. And just like, because some people learn herbalism as this thing that's so diff like separate from nature, and yeah. which is fine. A lot of people start that way, and then get involved more with the nature connection, seasonal rhythms. But I have that sense from you that that has always been a big part of your herbalism and the way you practice and the way you work with herbs and which is something I of course deeply love and so I just I love this like this picture I painted in my head of Maya in Ireland studying with a traditional healer I know it wasn't always easy but this you know sense of being there being connected to the land the seasons and nature yeah and I think you know that was the gift of that time was there was nothing else to focus on you know I think a lot of times we study something and the rest of our life is ongoing. And so we're still immersed in our own rhythms, whatever they are, whether they're work rhythms or school rhythms or family rhythms. And so the rhythm of whatever we're studying, it doesn't get to kind of take over our heartbeat. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. kind of like our heartbeat beats at its normal pace. And then we study this other thing on the side. And by going to Ireland and being immersed in my teacher's world, that, that rhythm, you know, shifted. And it wasn't easy. <laughs> I have always been pretty intellectual, like pretty, how do I say this? I want to know the facts. I'm, I'm a Capricorn rising, like give me the hardcore stuff that's going to last forever. I've come to see that that folklore actually is that, right? That the truest stories we can tell are, are the fables and the fairy tales that many people can relate to. But going into my Ireland time, I was coming from like a heavy duty academic background. And so that sliding into a seasonal rhythm instead of an academic rhythm, that that took a lot of self-coaching and mini temper tantrums and, you know, um <laughs> all the all the things that that we do when we're when we're shifting and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, that is maybe where our camaraderie, I remember the word now, comes from also is because I had a very similar thing. Like I love facts. I love practical stuff. And for me, herbalism has been a series of paradigm shifts of 
you know, sinking ever deeper into just having this new world open before my eyes. And um, yeah. so I hear that in your story too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited that you chose thyme because thyme is easily one of my most favorite herbs <laughs> and I love it in so many ways. I can't imagine winter without thyme actually, because I love, there's something about thyme and soup, like a soup, most soups, yeah. obviously not all soups are the same, but for me, most soups is not a soup unless there's plenty of thyme. <laughs> it's such a comfort to me. So I'm excited to hear what you have to share about thyme. Yeah. So I was thinking about this, like trying to remember when it kind of seeped so deeply into my consciousness because my teacher, and I do just want to kind of mention, I, I used to start like anything like this by kind of giving my lineage and naming my teacher. And I've actually very purposefully stopped doing that because it's one thing when you're teaching like 10 people, it's another thing when you're doing, you know, video for thousands of people at a certain point, it becomes like a privacy issue. So it's, it's kind of the flip side of the respect is that she is now my teacher instead of her name. And my teacher used time like it was one of her go-tos for any kind of virus or bacteria. One of the things that was really foundational in Ireland was we used what we could grow or what we could wildcraft. So like there was no black cohosh in the in the repertoire. It doesn't doesn't grow there. My teacher at that stage didn't have like a lot of extra money for buying herbs from overseas and things like that. So, you know, we were, we were using what we could grow or what we could gather. So time was a really important antiviral antimicrobial in her toolkit, but it wasn't her like go-to she tended toward dandelion and nettle were in everything. Like a formula did not walk out the door that didn't have usually both of those herbs in it. But time really just rose up for me. I think I really vibe with the, like the Mediterranean basin plants. My family's Jewish. Maybe there's something like in that ancient, ancient, ancient DNA that, that comes forward. And so time has always been one that's spoken to me. And, and like intellectually part of it is it's antimicrobial and antiviral. And so a lot of times you don't know what the heck you're dealing with and you're not going to be able to figure it out. So you just like, okay, great, use time. I think people use oregano for the same reason, but I find oregano kind of like time's harsh cousin. <laughs> That's a really good, really good way of saying that. I feel the same way. I mean, I love oregano for all its wonderful gifts, but there's something about time that is just it's not that it's weaker. It's just like, it just has the taste and the feel of it. It's just more like smooth. Yeah. It's less brash. Like it's, it's not going to, you know, hit you over the head just for fun. Like oregano kind of reminds me, I don't know if you have this person in your family, but when I was a kid growing up, I had like the rough and tumble cousin who would like on the back of the head and stuff like that. Like oregano reminds me a little bit of that, like friendly and cheerful and, and like uh, the big golden retriever that might knock you down. Whereas time is equally potent, but less of that kind of knock you over. So I, I reach for time often, especially I, I was a clinical herbalist for over a decade and you know, the more you are working in something, kind of the deeper your knowledge goes. And I was working with probably over a hundred plants on a regular basis. But as I've kind of reverted to just a regular herbalist, I, I find that 
first of all, I don't have the huge apothecary on hand anymore, but also my knowledge of the things that I'm not in touch with daily has definitely waned. So, you know, time is kind of the, the regular friend and anytime anything comes up, that's what I reach for. My favorite like little time mini moment was I, I got a call from my mom and she said, I forget where she was going, but she's like, I'm going to have to cancel my plane tickets. I have some kind of weird stomach bug. My mom will do what I tell her, but she's never studied herbs. Like it's not her thing, but she's seen it work enough that she'll, she'll follow instructions. So, you know, I said, I said, mom, do you have any time in your spice cupboard? Now you have to understand my mom has McCormick spices from like 1972. <laughs> like they don't even use the same label anymore. So my mom pulls out her ancient, ancient, you know, little bottle of time. I said, okay, make tea with it. It's going to taste like spaghetti sauce, but just drink it. So she drank two cups of tea and apparently things were heading out in both directions. And she called me like three hours later and she said, it stopped. I'm fine. Hmm. So you know, time does not let me down. It's, it's a good one. And I feel like because it can be used for respiratory, for digestive, for, I don't know what the hell it is. Let's throw some time at it. It's the one I reach for. Oh yeah. That's one thing. It's one of like as many culinary herbs, it could be like dismissed as a culinary herb, but it has such a potent punch to it. And energetically, you know, time is so spicy. I mean, it's hot. And I remember I think it was Todd Caldicott. He once said in an interview or something that time is the cayenne of the north in that <laughs> you know, it grows very far north, a latitude speaking, but it is such a spicy, hot plant. And when I, I've been lucky enough to spend some time in Ireland, not yet a year, but some good time over there. I do love it so much. And I became obsessed with taking pictures of the mountain time, just growing out of rocks, like right on the you know seashore. Um, I'll try and find some of those photos and put them up here on the, the video player. But it is such a, a potent, spicy, energetically moving, which is when you're in Ireland and it's moist and boggy and damp and cold for a lot of the year. It's such a wonderful match for that. Yeah, it's I'm just thinking about the cayenne of the north. It's it's really interesting. I actually have a nightshade allergy and can't do cayenne. And I'd never thought of time as kind of replacing that in my arsenal, but I, I do use time and ginger that way. Like where someone else might throw a pinch of cayenne, I'll throw some time or some ginger just to keep the blood moving, get the, get the heat moving. But interestingly, I have found in practice, like, okay, you put it in your mouth. You're like, Yep, spicy. But I have found in practice that when I use thyme in formulas, it reminds me a bit of peppermint. Like it almost modulates itself. Mm. You know, like if you think about peppermint, you can drink peppermint tea in the morning to perk you up. And then you can drink peppermint tea in the evening to put you to sleep. It's a little different than amphoteric. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. almost like it's almost like the herb is self-modulating a little bit. And if you picture a coin, like it's on the, the edge of the coin instead of on one side or the other, and it can flip either way. And I feel like time can do that. Like I, I don't worry about time overheating someone. Mm -hmm. You would think that I would because I'm also, you know, resonating with you saying it's the cayenne of the North, but I, I just haven't found that in practice. Like, I think that there's a little bit of a menthol 
kick in the back of the taste of time. So it's almost like icy hot, like, you know, it comes in hot and then it has the cool kick behind and it balances itself. Yeah, it's interesting. I've never thought of it like that because I do think of it so spicy. But as you say that, I've also not seen it to be aggravating. I think of it more as stimulating, like it gets things moving. I rely on it a lot for respiratory congestion. It's one of my favorites for that, or just like that beginning stages of a cold or flu, or just anytime things feel like they're starting to like come in and just like solidify and become stuck. Time is such a great mover. Yes. And you know, it's funny when I was thinking about recipes, cause I was like, oh, time, it's gotta be time. You know, when you asked me one herb, it didn't occur to me to share this and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share the, share it. And I'm also, this is the flu tea that I designed for, for our shop. It's just elderberry hibiscus and thyme. Oh, lovely. And so like following up on what you were just saying, that kind of, I feel like it stimulates the elderberry. It's almost like the train that carries the elderberry deeper in. It loosens things up. It gets things out of the way so that the elderberry can, can move in. And the hibiscus in that blend brings in a lot of vitamin C. Plus it's just pretty and tasty. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is important when you don't feel well. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, such a wonderful combination. I'm going to make a variation of that. I'm getting on a plane soon. And that just seems like the perfect before plane tea as well. So keep things moving, keep things strong. Yep, it's a good one. I also sometimes when I travel, like on a plane, I will bring a little bottle of thyme essential oil. And usually for something like that, I'll bring like a thyme linalool instead of a like red thyme. Like just something that's a smidge gentler. So if I'm opening it on the airplane and sniffing it, people aren't like, (laughs) (laughs) good tip. Well, let's talk about your recipe, which is thyme sitar. I am excited for this. I love sitar. I make it all the time. I actually do often make it more with oregano. And I'm really excited to try this version with thyme since I love thyme so much. Yeah. So I started eating za'atar. Um, my sister married an Israeli. And so I think he would, he would even bring it like it's a spice that in his family in Israel, you know, they literally don't leave home without. So when he would come to the States for a couple months, he'd bring za'atar with him. And so I started eating it with them, like not consciously realizing that it was time, but just having that same affection and draw toward it. And then once I realized it was time, I was like, oh, this is, this is absolutely the best. And then when I, you know, began to understand how you make it, you actually make it with fresh time, not with dried time. I was like, oh, this is such a great way to get like, like that really fresh, potent time into your system. But it's just like a, a spice blend. It's just like a sprinkle that you can put on, you know, some, some toast with olive oil, or like if I make garlic bread, I put it in there, I put it on pasta, I put it on fish, I put, you name it, I put it on that any kind of veggies, any kind of salad. And that's the way they use it in the Arab countries. You know, it's just, it's sprinkled on everything. So it's really simple. It's just thyme, a little bit of salt, sumac, which this is not the same as the sumac that we have here in the States. Like don't sub it because you will poison yourself. This is another Mediterranean herb. It's related to the sumac that we have here. The white-berried sumac is poisonous, and that's what we have in the States. Uh, This is a red-berried sumac. It's a relative, but it's not the same thing. So, you know, I usually just buy the sumac as like already powdered, chop up the thyme, put in the sumac, put in some salt, 
mix it all together. Sometimes I add some dried garlic. Sometimes I don't have sumac. And so I want to replace sumac has like a tart taste. So sometimes I'll put a little like lemon in, or if I'm going to eat it right away, I'll chop up some wood sorrel because that's really lemony. So some of it is like shelf shelf stability. Like, Mm -hmm. am I eating it right away and just making a smidge? And then the final ingredient is sesame seeds. And I just buy them toasted already so that that's not another step in the process. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you buy the pre-powdered sumac and the toasted sesame seeds, this recipe takes a minute and a half. Love it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And feel free to change the proportions and stuff. You know, there's a joke in my household that I've never followed a recipe twice. So I actually had to kind of make up this recipe for you. I was like, Ooh, what do I do? The last time I went to Israel, I brought home so much zatar. I brought home hyssop zatar and Lebanese zatar and 57 million kinds of zatar. So I haven't even made it recently because I have like enough for a lifetime. So play with the proportions, you know, do it to suit your taste because like this isn't even done to my very current taste buds. This is more like recreating because I haven't made it in a bit. Yeah. Well, it is such a fun one to play with, as you said, and so fast to come together. Whenever I get like an especially beautiful loaf of bread or some new olive oil, that's kind of like my goat. Like it's just like immediate in my mind. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to make some sitar and try it out and, you know, putting it in soups and salads, all of it. It's just, it's one of those things that if you always have it nearby, then you're always getting this wonderful, delicious flavor punch with your meals. Yeah. And it's great for like omelets. I mean, it's honestly one of those, I can't think of anything that it's not good on or in maybe something sweet. Yeah. But yeah maybe. <laughs> like, I'm just thinking Rosalie, I'm like, Ooh, but what would happen if you put it on lemon sorbet? That sounds really incredible actually. <laughs> right. Like salty, yeah. sweet lemon yeah. thyme. Yeah. Oh, I think that's going to be, that's going to be a half. We're going to have to try that. We cannot just talk about it. (laughs) 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 This message is for the listeners. As you probably know by now, I love to share recipes when we talk about these plants. Recipes are a wonderful way for you to get involved and create your own experience with herbs. It's one thing to hear cool facts about time, but an entirely other thing to form your own relationship with this plant through observing, through tending, and of course, through tasting. To help you get to know thyme more deeply, Maya is sharing a thyme sitar recipe. I make recipes of this blend all the time and I love it so much. I'm excited to hear what you all think. You can download your recipe card by visiting herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. There you'll also find the show notes, including direct links to Maya's offerings and a transcript of this interview. Oh my, do you have anything else to share about time with us? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think one thing that I would love to just warn people about with the time essential oils is the red time is super strong. So if you're a person who steams, I would use either use the linalool or if you put your red time into your bowl of boiling water, just like step back from the bowl for a couple minutes. Let those first volatile oils come off. You know, I'm the person who has the towel ready and I'm going to get under there and get all the best oils right from the very beginning. And I, I've, I've actually burnt my lungs so that, you know, four days later, they still hurt from one drop of, of red time in the boiling water and just getting under there and breathing those initial fumes. So it's, it's one to be careful with. I mean, you can even just use time from your garden in a steam instead of going all the way to the essential oil. Mm-hmm. If you want to 
gentle it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, um, do you have time as a tea, like as a, a simple, or do you often combine it with other? Okay. I'm going to tell you the weird ass thing I do. I, <laughs> time tea tastes like spaghetti to me, but for mm-hmm. some reason, I feel like it mixes really well with apple cider. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. With yeah, apple cider. I, I in my mind, I, th- I had said apple vinegar, and I'm like, no, you mean cider, <laughs> but I said cider. Yeah, and I, I there's something about the time. Maybe it's that lemon and time is the same as like the apple and time. Like it does mm-hmm. something similar. So a lot of times, if I make a simple thyme tea. I'll mix it half and half with apple cider. Ooh, that sounds yummy too. It's like a hot cider spiced with thyme. Yeah. And you can do it hot or you can do it cold either way. It's weird, but good. Yeah. (laughs) You know, one thing that just occurred to me, Maya, earlier you were talking about how it's kind of like a modulator and it kind of goes, you know, either way and helps modulate other things. I was thinking, you know, when I get sick, I'll often eat a lot of raw garlic but raw garlic on its own can be very upsetting to my belly. Um, and, but what I've learned over the years is to make, like, I'll make like a um, garlic butter and put it on bread. The bread helps as well, or veggies, you know, just to kind of have like something else. that's not raw garlic on empty stomach. But when I add thyme to it, thyme takes away that queasiness that I get with the raw garlic. No. And so I was just thinking like, that's just something I've learned to do something I've done for years, but it kind of like lends itself to that, like, how it just kind of like helps it go either way and it just softens things and yeah. So Yeah. And I mean, okay, first of all, thank you for that tip because I can't do raw garlic. So I'm going to try that. But it's, it's really interesting because, you know, when we think of the cayenne of the North, I'm not going to stop saying that, you know, we think of that like really crazy spiciness, but then when you walk outside and you find a little mound of thyme, it, it is soft and gentle and it's not a big look at me plant. It's not a, like, it's not making a big fuss. It's just kind of like creeping along, holding down the soil. You know, it's the growth habit of it is kind of gentle. It's, it's presence is gentle. Like when you sit with it, you don't have this kind of whammed over the head feeling from it. So it's just interesting to me to think about like what the technical energetics are bases like versus what the experience of the plant is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is such a great conversation. I feel like I'm thinking about times in all new ways. It's so fun to learn about an old friend and get, you know, a deeper perspective which with plants happens to me all the time. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> Was there anything else that you'd like to share about time? I think we're good. Okay. Maya, I am so excited to talk about your new book, The Wild Wisdom Companion. I have all of your other books. The Herbiary, of course, is one of my very favorites. And I also have loved The Bestiary and The Chrysalary from you as well. And this is the fourth installment and I am so excited. I pre-ordered it months ago, of course, because um, <laughs> I'm subscribed to your newsletter. And as soon as you said it was coming out, I was like, yep, I'm going to be getting that. That's easy does it right there. So t- I'd love to hear more about the book. Well, this, I mean, this book, going right back to where you started the conversation, focuses on the rhythms You know, it focuses on the rhythms of the year and the rhythms of the plants and the rhythms of the sun. My my goal is to help people find that rhythm in their own life. 
So it's not as pointed towards like individual plants, animals, or, or crystals, but instead how to use the plants, animals, and crystals and the energy of the seasons themselves to find your rhythm, to find your comfort, to find your balance. I have, I have my author's copy. We actually, this is this has just been like such a, a crazy with this book for those of you who have ordered it early and have watched the dates change in your shopping cart over the months. I'm terribly sorry. I mean, the whole industry has been having trouble, but they're here. They're actually here and they're starting to ship to the stores. So so we're getting there, but I got my author's copy and oh, I can it's see just it. beautiful. Yeah. And one of my like very favorite, it's so funny. The the graphic designer suggested this. And I I love, I love the woman who's like, she's not the illustrator, she's the person in charge of putting the book together. And I adore her. And she had this idea and she seemed so excited about it. And I didn't want to say that's kind of odd. What she wanted to do was to put these pockets in the book. I don't know. Let me see if I can stick my finger in so that you can kind of like see that it's a pocket. Oh, yeah. Right? So mm-hmm. um, so I created exercises where you put a letter to yourself in the pocket and then you can come back mm-hmm. the following year. Because my, my thought with this is I want people to not just like read it, put it down and go away. I want this to become like the ongoing guide that you return to and you go, mm-hmm. oh, what's changed since last year? Am I still feeling... Like, you know, the way I did the year before. And so these pockets almost let you scrapbook. And I was showing the pockets to someone the other day and I was like, oh my God, it would be so cool to like give this to someone else and put a note for them for each of the seasons in the little pocket so that they would find them later. So I'm kind of tickled. Like the, the book process is fascinating because whoever you are, the author comes up with this book and then you bring it to the team at your publishing house and who knows what's going to happen then. You know, you end up with pockets in the middle of your book and then you end yeah. up like writing to the pocket because you don't want to say no to the designer that you love. And then like, it just comes full circle and all of a sudden you love the pockets. So I don't know. I feel like everything reflects everything else. And so that kind of that full circle of the book writing is, is, it's the same that we're doing with the year, right? Like we're just coming around and seeing it from a different angle as we move around the wheel of the year. So those pockets are brilliant, Maya. I think that is so cool. <laughs> and they're also, they're really, really beautiful. I mean, it's a really exciting book for me. And then at the end of each chapter, you know, so you do have cards like there have been with my other books. I explore arch- archetypal symbols for each of the seasons. So like this is the mermaid and this is what's on the cards. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. (laughs) I'm so excited. Soon, like super soon at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what a wonderful addition. And again, I'm just like still struck by those pockets. That's so cool because what I find from your books is there is so many you know, layers of wisdom and also, you know, it's something that you could read from cover to cover. And also very much meant to just be a, like a one-off. And I find like when I do that with your books, as I read the same ones over and over at different times a year, it just has different, you know, it hits me at different times. And what I need to hear is in there in a different way. And so I like that, that this book is really about like, you keep visiting it over and over again, because that is the thing about the seasons, right? It's our journey through them. And it's a continuing spiral, not a, not a linear process. 
Yeah. And I, I think that if we allow ourselves that, if we, you know, step off the linear timeline and into the cyclical timeline, then you're, you're allowed to go back, which on the linear timeline, like you're not supposed to do on the linear timeline, it's almost a sign of failure, you know, that you're returning to an earlier point in the timeline. It's, it's part of this drive we have, this forward momentum, um, and we're not supposed to go back. Whereas once you step on to a cyclical timeline, mm -hmm. then of course you go back. You have to go back. There's no choice. And so it's like, who, who are you in this place once again? How have you changed? How have you grown? And to me, it just offers so many opportunities to, to know yourself. And, you know, because we're people who work with plants, to know the plants that are growing out in the world and like how you're relating to them in the different seasons and how they're relating to you. Absolutely. To me, that's like, that's the, the juiciness of herbalism. I think if I had only studied herbalism as like a pharmacology where no connection to the plants themselves, no connection to the seasons, I don't know that I would have been long for that. Uh, yeah. Whereas this, uh, all that we're discussing is really like what is the joie de vivre for me or the, just, it really brings in what's so essential and so important has made my life so much richer because of it. Yes. Yes. It's, you know, it's interesting because we had kind of set up to talk about like, you know, what has this study, this practice brought into your life. And when I was thinking about it, like, it's everything that you and I have been discussing up until this point in the conversation, right? It's the, it's the paradigm shift. It's the turning your expectations like right over. And it's this joy and wonder in the daily, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm always saying to my book agent, like this magic stuff, this witchy stuff, it's really no different than what like Brene Brown is doing. Like it's a path to happiness and wonder and joy. And I think that sometimes that message like gets a little lost and it becomes just a path to healing and to wellness. And we forget that, that true wellness is, is wonder and joy. Hmm. You know, it's, it's knowing that you're connected to the world and feeling secure in that connection. That's, that's what healing really is. It's a, it's a rooted thing that's reaching for the sun. Hmm. It's not some, you know, disconnected, disembodied thing that happens to you in your body. That is so true. I, you know, I often think of that as in visuals in my mind and as this like visual of like somebody on like in a Walgreens, like buying a pink syrup or like some pills and like whoop, taking them. And then that's like health and healing in some paradigms versus me walking outside, visiting with my elder shrub, you know, gently harvesting some of the berries giving thanks for all the beauty around me, bringing that back home, making my own medicine, which is so empowering. And all of that is the healing for me, um, just like you said. And it's just a, I think the more folks that find that they are dissatisfied with the, maybe I shouldn't pick on Walgreens, but with the drugstore <laughs> experience of just like buying this thing separate from you, like how much healing is really in there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do want to point out, like, I think it's so important. One thing that I know I did as a young herbalist, and I've seen other young herbalists in this, in this mindset, you know, is that like herbs are everything that, that this disconnected pharmaceutical experience should never happen. And whenever you get to never, 
like you're not in a good place. And I like, I don't care what that never is. You know what I mean? Like once you get to never going to happen, um, you're out of balance. And, you know, I, I think that it's so important to remember that we are not the first people to use herbalism. Herbalism has been being used for thousands upon thousands of years. And during that time, there have been some God awful diseases that have sometimes gone around for like over a century, you know, like the bubonic plague mm -hmm. um, came and then disappeared for a while and came again. The herbalists back then were just as good, if not better than us. And there were things that they like couldn't figure out how to resolve in, in a, in a good way. And sometimes pharmaceuticals fill that gap. So I love talking about like the joy of the, the connection with your medicine and the healing that comes from just walking outside because most of us don't, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, having the relationship with the plant that you're going to get the medicine from. But I also know like for myself, I went through a decade of like migraines where literally I was vomiting 12, 15 times. Mm -hmm. um, like shaking from head to toe and refusing to take anything except herbs. And during that time period, I tried every single herb in the book. I tried it in every form. It wasn't working. And so, you know, from like a further along perspective, I now look back at that particular self and I say, oh my God, you poor thing. I let you get so traumatized for what essentially at that point was like a belief system instead of, you know, allowing the abundance of our human experience to give me what I needed in that moment. You know, like how many days or weeks did I lose where if I would have just taken the damn Imatrix, I could have been outside enjoying the herbs instead of, you know, in my room with an ice pack and, and I, and I, you know, shade on my head. So I, I also just want to remind people who are new to this path, like, don't let this become some weird cultish, right? Like mm -hmm. belief system that, that may or may not be serving you. Use your rational brain as well as your intuition. I traveled to Peru. I was asked to, to teach. And this was, I mean, this was an amazing opportunity. I was teaching in the Amazon alongside a shaman and a representative of the, the government who was studying plants for scientific medicinal purposes. Mm -hmm. And I'm deep in the rainforest and I get a bladder infection. And so, you know, I was like, hey, I'm in the rainforest. Yay, there's gotta be something here. So I went to the shaman and I was so I was like, hey, need some help. And he said, mm, and he turned to the scientist and they conferred and a language I didn't speak. And the scientist said to me, what you need is not in this part of the jungle. And I was like, I'm in the rainforest. I'm teaching herbalism. There's got to be something. The The shaman said, well, I'll, I'll make you some uh, some drinks in the morning and we'll see if it clears up. And so for, for a couple of days, he would make me like basically cucumber, cucumber juice <laughs> to kind of like cool it. Right. And it was not clearing up. And so one of the other women on the trip had antibiotics with her. And she said, you know, I have antibiotics. I was like, no way. Nope, not doing it. And the shaman happened to, to overhear the conversation 
And he came over and he was like, yes, you're doing it. And he took the antibiotic from her and he held it in his hands and he blessed it. And then he handed it, he handed it me, he said, you take. And it was such an important lesson, you know, that like we've, we've got to find balance and we've got to use the resources available to us in the moment. And we can also do it in a way that makes their energy positive or at least neutral. Like we can, we can bless, we can bless a pharmaceutical pill. We can take out the little orange bottle and put it under the elder tree and ask for her, her blessing. So, you know, as you're working through your herbal journey, don't go to extremes. I, I think just, you know, find them, find the middle path. Yeah. That's a very wise reminder. I wholeheartedly agree with that, Maya. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. I feel like I'm, I just can't wait for the day we have truly integrated care, oh, right? you know, where it's not just one or the other. And I do get annoyed sometimes when people like my friends and, you know, people I can get annoyed at think that I'm opposed to Western medicine or opposed to things like that. And my husband recently really hurt his foot and he went to the doctor thinking it might be broken. It wasn't broken. And the doctor told him, take, you know, a bunch of ibuprofen and Tylenol every six hours. That was, you know, all I gave him is that was what he wanted to do. And, I, and so I was complaining to someone of like, can you believe that? Like, that's what they said. And the person was like, well, ibuprofen isn't bad. You know, I don't think you should be against ibuprofen. And I was like, wait a second, I'm not against ibuprofen. I'm just against that as a first, like first call on this, you know, like, let's try other things. If that doesn't work, maybe he wants to choose to take ibuprofen. Fine with me. But just, I really want to see more integrated care where we have options, not just one or the other. And we come up with a plan that makes sense. An evolving plan too. Yes. Yes. Right. Because how many, how many people do you know that have been on the same medication for like seven years and they don't remember why they're taking it because mm -hmm. the plan doesn't evolve. I think that evolution is so important, but you know, I mean, it's going to take a change at the, at the learning level, because in order for that kind of integration to happen, we need doctors who understand both. I actually, I had one in Philadelphia. She, um, she was German. And so she would give me homeopathics, like, before she'd, she'd say, okay, here's the homeopathic, try this for five days and then move on to this other thing. So I think it's just going to take like a different kind of training in, in the medical schools and some of it's happening, but it's like, it's so, it's so minuscule and it's so not comprehensive, you know, it's like a yeah. one little course and usually the nurses take it and not the doctors. Right. Right. Um, um, yeah. Just have to hold it in our hearts and keep showing up with our herbalness and other <laughs> means and show options. Yeah. yeah. Well, if we are ending with our conversation. I do have one more question for you. It's been one I've been asking everybody in season two, and it's been really fun to hear the responses from uh, everyone. And that question is what in your herbal path has been surprising to you? Something has jumped out of you. It's like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for me, it's actually everything we've been talking about. It's this idea of the rhythms, you know, and how those rhythms then take over your entire life. So when I went to Ireland, I was just a teacher taking a sabbatical year. And I figured that I would go back to teaching, you know, second grade, fourth grade, whatever, whatever I was going to be teaching that year. It never occurred to me that this kind of timeout year would end up changing like the whole way my brain worked. And the whole way that I saw life and the way that I, you know, approached things and what I wanted to do for, for a career. 
so for me, herbalism changed everything. And that was a total surprise. That that wasn't where I thought I was going. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that is a big surprise. And it is interesting that so often the plants, I feel like that story is not uncommon. I definitely relate to it as well. But the plants, they reach out, they grab us. And really, I'm saying plants because I do tend to be herbal centric, but really the land reaches out and grabs us and, and we form those relationships. And there's just really no going back after that. No, there's no, there's no going back. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Maya. Thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing your wisdom. I am so excited for your new book and just really pleased you're able to spend time with me and all of us today. Thank you so much for having me, Rosalie. This was awesome. For the listeners, don't forget to head over to herbswithrosaliepodcast.com to get free access to Maya's thyme sitar recipe. Also available are the complete show notes, including the transcript. You can also visit Maya directly at mayatoll.com where you can sign up for her newsletter. I deeply believe that this world needs more herbalists and plant-centered folks. I'm so glad that you're here as part of this herbal community. Have a beautiful day. Hey, thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. And if you're a new listener, thanks for checking out the show. And don't forget that you can find all the recipes, links, and show notes over at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. While you're there, you can subscribe and get updates when new episodes release and even submit your requests for future podcast episodes. The world needs more people who are connected to the earth and the healing gifts of plants. I'm so glad that you're here for this adventure. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Rising Appalachia for the use of their beautiful song, Resilience. Listen to more from Rising Appalachia at risingappalachia.com.